The next couple of weeks, I'm switching gears. We've been talking about, we've been talking about vision and how are we going to fulfill this and, how, and getting people in the kingdom of God. So the next couple of weeks, I've alluded to these several times and maybe, I don't know if I've necessarily preached this message here, but I've alluded to it several times. But there's something about evangelism that I want to talk to you about. Evangelism is, is not this big, scary thing that we think that it is. You know, if I tell someone, listen, you've got to go out in the streets of Sault Ste. Marie and you've got to evangelize. Immediately, the enemy brings a vision. Oh, my God, I've got to be out there in the street. I've got to hand out tracts or I've got to be in the corner of a co-worker giving them the word. No. There's seven tips. I'm giving you seven tips. Now, these are my seven tips that God's showing me. You may have your own. But there's seven, I believe, tips or keys that, that are effective for effective evangelism. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't think that evangel evangelism isn't always what we thought it was. So many times we think that evangelism is going to be, uh, Jeremy Horn's coming, man. God's going to move and there's going to be a huge explosion and all these people are going to come to Christ. And it doesn't work that way. Billy Graham, who is probably the greatest evangelist this nation has ever produced, the way he went about doing it, he'd have, he'd, he was, he'd pick a city that he was going to do a crusade in. Year before that, he'd send people, and they'd get 25, 30, 35 churches working together. And here's what he would tell those people. I want you to make a list of five people you'd like to see come to the Lord. Then, start fellowshipping with them. Start taking them out for dinner. Start developing a relationship with them. Well, the whole purpose of when Billy Graham comes, hey, why don't you come to this service with Billy Graham with me? They go, they get born again. Discipleship is now already in place because you're with this person you're developing a relationship with. So I want to, I want to start in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, and I'm going to just talk about these, and then I'll get to the, the Scripture verses that I want to kind of preach about today. There's a great persecution was going on in Jerusalem and, and, and uh, Samaria. Saul was running rampant. He was killing Christians. He was arresting Christians. Um, and, and I'm not so sure that we really understand true persecution today. I mean, I guess we do at some level. People make fun of you. We're the problem. Everybody's problems in the world is because of us Christians. You know, if you Christians would just lighten up a little bit and let everybody do whatever they wanted to do. You know what? I'm not in charge of what you do. You do what you want to do. But as for me and my house, this is the way we're going to live. And if you don't like the way that we live, don't try to change me because I'm not going to. There's all kinds of agendas out there today saying, you need to accept this and, and do this. And I'm sorry, we can't. Biblically, we can't do it. All right? So, there's a great persecution. And Christians were scattered in chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 4 of Acts. And then Philip, great things began to happen in, in um, Samaria. And I want to read this because I wanted you guys to kind of get the context of what was going on. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 6, I'm going to start in verse 5 because I'm a good preacher. <clears throat> Always back up one. Then the Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Wow. Philip went down there, started preaching Jesus. Revival broke out. How cool is that? Now, if I had come to, 
If I come to Sault Ste. Marie and I start preaching, revival breaks out, and all of a sudden there's seven, eight hundred, a thousand people here, man. Demons are being cast out of people. People are being healed. The hospitals, man, I would build my international ministry right here. Boom, God's moving. Most all of us would, man. God is moving, and I want to be a part of that, and I want to be there. But you know what? God always has a different plan for us, and it's better. Sometimes God messes up your stuff. You don't believe me? I'm going to show you. All right, so things were going so well that the disciples sent Peter and John down there to lay hands on them, get them filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, and all these things were going on, and it was a great revival was taking place, and man, things were going great. And in Acts 8.26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Wait a second, God. Revival's breaking out here. God used me to bring revival to this area. Now, I don't know about you. Now, if an angel shows up at your house, you're probably going to obey that. You know, I would think. I've heard an angel show up, you know, and, and command me to do anything. You know, once I pick myself up off the floor and stop shaking and, and for fear, I would probably obey him because I'd be afraid not to. It's a little easier to disobey the Holy Spirit because it's this little nudging and you say, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. A little harder if an angel shows up and says, you shall go south along the road. Now, I want you to think about this. Things are going good and where does God send Philip? To the desert. There is nothing there. God, wait a second. There's a great thing going on here. You caused this. I'm just obeying you and you want me to go where? God messes up your stuff sometimes. Your plans. You don't believe me? Well, let me see. Good things are going on. Poor, think of Mary. Mary's on her way to get some water. An angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, you're going to get pregnant. You're not going to know a man, but you're going to get pregnant. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And you're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be the Savior of the world. Right. Let me, little 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl, go home and tell mommy and daddy, yo, mom, dad, I'm pregnant, but don't worry about it. It's the Holy Spirit. My baby's going to be the Savior of the world. I'm a dad. I'm saying, and what is the name of this Holy Spirit? Because I'm going to find him. I've got a big stick. Okay? She was minding her own business. I think of Moses. Moses has minded his own business in a burning bush. Wrecked his life. I, you know, wreck it in a good sense. <laughs> okay? Noah. Poor old Noah. He's just living his life, and God says, Noah, yeah, God, build a boat. All right. This big, this wide, this tall, fill it with two of every animal. Well, okay, not sure why, but okay, because it's going to rain. What's rain? And then I want you to tell all the people it's going to rain. And it rained a hundred years later. So go ahead and tell your neighbors for 120 years it's going to rain. Listen, and the reason I can say that is because that is not how the earth was moisturized at that time. It was, it was dew. It was from the ground up. It didn't come down. So when Moses out, or Noah's out there saying, hey, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, they're saying, he is off of his rocker. He built this big boat, and two of every kind is going to come into this boat? And how are you going to do that, Noah? 120 years. Things are going good, and God... And then God steps in. 
and messes things up for you. Lord, Philip, he wanted him to go to the desert. Now look, so he arose and went, in verse 27, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, had come up to Jerusalem to worship. Now, it was desert. It was dry. It was hot. There was nothing there. No glamorous synagogues. No ministry of helps. Not even a pulpit. Nobody to get his water for him. Nothing. The suffrage. And he dropped his glasses. There was nothing there. See, this is something we've got to get a hold of. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean not God is not doing something in it. God is doing something in this body that we may not be able to see because it is happening in people and in their hearts. In this whole forgiveness thing, I'm convinced some of us need to really get a hold of that a little bit deeper than what we've gotten a hold of it. Forgiveness isn't tolerating things. It's forgiving things. And I understand. I've got people that are in my life too that I, I'm like, oh God, how long do I have to suffer? But, I, right? but here's the thing. There's people that you know that they, they gouge you, and I get that. But you know what? Do you, do you have any idea what's going on in their life? Do you know where they're at? Do you know maybe why some of that is manifesting that way? I'm not going to take, I'm not bothering to take time to find out. I just don't like what I see, hear, or feel. So down the road you go. So, I don't know where that came from. That was free. Arise and go toward the south. He rose and went. There's not even any people in the desert. Snakes and scorpions. Woohoo. Great ministry going here, and God sends me to nothing. I'll never forget this. And, and again, I, I don't want this to sound arrogant, prideful, because this, isn't, this was not my words. But we were downstate, and we were working with a ministry, and there was an opportunity to take a church in Grand Rapids. This was a number of years ago. And at that time, we were deciding, we said, no, we don't feel that. And I moved back to the Upper Peninsula to take a teaching job instead. And this is a quote. Why would you go back to the Upper Peninsula? There is nothing there. Are there people there? Well, there you go. Okay? So again, we can't look at what we see or what we feel or how we think about it. God is doing something even if we may not be able to see it. Okay? So, and I am going somewhere with this. So what did he do? He arose and he went. The first tip or the first key to really being effective with evangelism is obeying God. Immediate obedience. And let me tell you about delayed obedience. And I probably shared this story once before. I was in North Carolina. This was years and years ago. We went to a hospital. And, and there, you know, and there we went to see my grandmother who was in the hospital. She wasn't doing well. I went to visit her and we were going to pray with her. I was with another, a senior, what I would consider a senior minister to me because I was pretty young in the, in, the, in the faith and in the ministry at that time. And we... And then all of a sudden, people found out, man, there's some preachers in the house that are praying for people. So we, you know, we're having to go to room to room because, hell, there's a preacher. Hey, come pray for me. And so we were praying. And we were praying for this one lady that, that had cancer. And I kind of felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit say, ask her about her salvation. 
But the senior pastor was praying for her, and the way he was praying for her and with her led me to believe that she was saved. You know, just said the way he was talking to her and praying, but no. So I kind of left it, and I said, well, okay, you know, I don't want to interrupt, and I don't want to, you know, act like I'm something. So I left there and had this unction. Well, the next day, this lady died. I don't know. I don't know. If I'd have just obeyed him then. I'd have known, but I don't know. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying that I, I missed it, but it didn't affect her eternal destination. So we've got to obey. In verse 28, he, um, it says, this eunuch, he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. The eunuch, eunuch was reading Isaiah. And in verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. Now I want you to think about this. The first time an angel showed up, go. He obeyed him. Then it was the Holy Spirit. That little unction, that little nudge, that little, Hey, you know, I, I want you to do this. It said, Run and overtake the chariot. He's in the desert. It's hot. He's in sandals and a dress. So they wore those days, you know, an ephod or whatever they call those things. It was a dress, right? Can you imagine? There's the, and I want you to put this in perspective. I'm going to hike up my dress and my sandals. I'm going to run across it. Hey, hey, I got some. And the eunuch's probably saying, come on, hurry up. There's a crazy person running through the desert after me. Where did he come from? Put yourself in the eunuch position. This crazy man, hey, hey. All right. But guess what that represents? It's going to take some work. It was hot. He was probably sweating in his dress running through the desert. It's going to take some work if you're going to influence people for Christ. It's going to. And it's not always easy. And there's sometimes, there's people I know. I know, I know. And I know some of you people. I know the people you're dealing with. You want to bang your head against the wall. Are they ever going to get it? All you're going to do is get a soft spot in your head. You're going to have to trust God. Okay, immediate obedience. Now, go near and overtake the chariot. So this is the second time he had to obey God. First time an angel, second time the Holy Spirit. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Now this is, very, this is, this is a key piece right here. Let me see, I'm out of order. That's my problem. Four, five, six, there we go. All right? So guess what? to the desert. He went to where they were. That's the second tip. We can sit here and we can pray, and I believe God answers prayer, and I believe God can bring people, but if you're sitting here waiting for people to flock in here, you know why people flock in here? Because you've been out there, and you've had some kind of an influence, and they're following you back here. They're seeing something in your life, and it may not happen right away. I there was a friend of mine I graduated with. I got born again, and he didn't want anything to do with me, although we were still, you know, I, I still had a relationship with him. We grew up together. And 20 years later, he was the one, he was the guy that when I got born again, I went to his house. He had a trailer. I was knocked on his door. He said, hey, man, what you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Because it had been, you know, a few years. And I walked in. I said, man, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Christ and and you know and and I was one of those I'm not leaving till you get saved. Three hours later, his eyes are glazed over, jewels running down his chin. He says, "What do I got to say? Tell me what I got to do." 
warm down, right? I'm so spiritual. So he said a prayer, right? And I said, fantastic, you're born again. Man, I'm coming to get you for church tomorrow. I go Sunday morning early and I knock on his door. Nothing. And I see the little, the shades open. And I see an eyeball. And then I see the shade go down. Click. And he would not open in that door. Would not open that door. The crazy man is back, right? Now, was that bad? I don't know. But we've got to go to where they are. But I've got to tell you this. 20 years later, 20 years later, he came to Christ. Started coming to church for about a year. Then one morning, he's riding his bike to work and falls dead. But he knew Jesus Christ. He wasn't coming to my church, folks. Had to go get him. Had to go. We've got to go where we're at. Next week, I'm going to talk about using what God has given you to evangelize. You're anointed for giftings, not somebody else's, where you're at. And we're going to talk about some of that stuff. So we went to where the Ethiopian was, and it's going to take some work. The next thing is we're going to have to, the third tip is, it's said in verse 30, the second part of verse 30, it says, do you understand what you're reading? We are going to have to come alongside people. They are not where we're at. So many times we look at somebody, we share something with them, we get a crack, man, we back up the dump truck and we dump everything we've ever known on them. And they're overwhelmed by that. Or all of a sudden we think that, okay, you said a prayer, now you should be where I'm at and I'm going to pick out every fault that's in your life. <laughs> oh, let me see. You're born again now, so you better quit doing this, don't do that, do this, you better do this, and you better come here, and you better do this, and, you better... and they're like, <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I, well, I can't do that, and I know, how am I ever going to do it? Listen, come alongside them. People respond better if you're, if, you're, if you're not behind them, pushing on them, or you're not talking down at them. But if you're with them, hey, I'm with you. We're in this together. I'll help walk. I'll walk with you. And I say this a lot in this church. We will walk with you until you decide you're not walking anymore. We'll keep walking. And when you cry out, we'll come back and we'll help you. But if you don't want to walk, we can't make you. But we'll walk with you as long as you're willing to walk. So we've got to come alongside people. And then when he asks this question, do you understand what you're reading? Find out where people are at. If someone is having problems in their marriage, giving them a lesson on tongues and interpretation, tongues isn't going to help them. Meet them where they're at. They're having this problem. Show them where they can, God can meet, and meet, that, meet that need and help that problem. Not your pet doctrine, not your pet message, not your pet thing, not what you think. But listen, find out where they're at, what level they're at. There's some people that don't know anything about Christ and they're messed up and all kinds of stuff. We've got to Listen, evangelism and discipleship, you get in discipleship, that's a little deeper level. People get, things are messy. Anybody have children? Guess what you do when you raise children? You disciple them. That's what you're doing. Call it what you want. You're discipling them. And your disciples will be exactly what you make them. Good or bad. That's right. Find out where they're at. In verse 31 it says, and the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? We're going to have to be there to guide them. We are not their God. But we are there to point them to God. 
say, you know what? And here's the thing. A lot of times we try to answer a question for somebody before they ever have a question. You need to do this and need to do this. And they're like, oh, I don't get that. Because I remember when I got born again, when I got born again, I had people, they didn't run right and say, dit, 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 dit. I went with Bob and Jean Schrader and Frank and Lisa Sims. I went to work with them for six weeks before I got born again. And I saw people who weren't perfect but loved God. I saw people that actually lived what they said. They never told me to do anything. They just lived when they said, however, here are some parameters. There's some things we don't do. You know, working a construction site, you're not going to be cussing on this job. And a 15-minute break is a 15-minute break. Because I thought when I, they called me, I said, why in the world are they calling me? I said, these Christians want me to go work with them? And I'm thinking, hmm, easy money. These Christians are soft, weak. Yeah. I never worked so darn hard in my life. Because 15 minutes minutes and you did things with integrity and character and integrity is what I'm trying to say, yeah. And so, and then I will never forget we're on a roof. I'm on a roof, you know, and, and every day the ladies would bring us lunch and we'd eat lunch together and we'd pray and they're always praying. I'm saying, man, these are praying people. They're praying about, they don't just do my, now I lay me down to sleep. They pray all day, all the time. I'm like, what the heck is this? We're on the roof and he, Bob's praying and we're starting a job and he's praying. We're getting off the job and he's praying. We're at lunch and he's praying. I'm like, okay, these people pray like, uh, 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 uh. All right, so then, so we're on the roof, and they, the ladies brought us lunch, and then lunch was over, and they were getting ready to go, and at that time, Bob and Jean had this great big land yacht of an Oldsmobile, Burgundy Oldsmobile, great big 19 Oldsmobile, huge car. She gets in, and it goes, wouldn't start. This little, if you knew Jean, this little gal gets out of the car, and I'm on the roof, and we're doing shingles. She throws herself on the hood of the car, in the name of Jesus, and I'm like, What? She gets back in the car and it starts. I just about fell off the roof. I'd never seen anything like that. But see, I saw. And sometimes when you're walking beside them, and, but you know what? I saw some flaws too. But what I did see is I saw people that had flaws and made mistakes that would repent, forgive, and move on and, and weren't, well, my God. You're, because let me, when I got born again, I was the most legalistic person on the planet. I was. If you weren't like me, you were probably going to hell. Because when I got born again, I was it. God's brought me a long way. We had a meeting one time, and I remember at this meeting, I was at the altar, and I was on my face, and, and God gave me this vision. He gave me this vision of, you go in Matthew, there's a scripture verse where he he. You, they, they were like sheep without shepherd, you know, scattered and weary with sheep without a shepherd. And it was like we were on this, I had this vision and we were on this grassy knoll and it's like I was standing there with Jesus and we were looking at all these people and it's like at that moment he took his heart out of his chest and put it in mine. I wept for three straight days. If I was awake, I was weeping. I mean, you know, weeping. Because it broke me. The compassion and the love that he had for people. I've never been the same. I can't look at people the same way. I can't look at people and say, you no good for, you're not doing this right, this right, this right, this right. Now listen, understand, there are standards, biblical standards that we cannot compromise. And I'm not afraid to say, this is what the Bible says and this is what you need to do. But man, 
I just believe that the love of Christ can break things in people's lives. Sometimes people need to be told straight up, look, dude, people helped me. And so in verse 31, the second part of that, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. He was invited into his life. That works a lot better than forcing your way into someone's life. If I'm standing at the gas station and somebody walks up and says, you know, I'm, listen, I understand as a Christian, some people say, you know, Lord, give me a word for you. Can I share this word? Yeah, you can share it. But before I got born again, I had people come and tell me, you need to do this. And I thought, you know what? You need to get out of my face before I knock you out. I didn't invite you into my life. I don't want to hear anything you got to say. Shut up. Well, you know, but I'm still, it's so in the word. I'm so in the word. That's not words not being received. That seed's falling on hard ground. And I wanted to give you a couple of jabs on the way out. I'm just being honest. Because I had a gal, I had a gal man at school, man. She'd, she'd call me in every once in a while, call me in your office and talk to me about God. And I'm like, look, lady, I want to hear about God. I want to do my thing. Now, was there seed planted? Yes. And God will use seed however it gets deposited. What I'm saying is that it is so much better if people invite you in. And, and again, if you're developing this relationship, people will. Because all of a sudden, they're seeing you go through some things. They start going through some things, and they say, can you pray for me? Oh, yeah. You have just now invited me into your life. And if I sow into your life, I have a spiritual right to reap there. God has a spiritual right to reap where he's sown. And so we, 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 we sow that seed. Now, I'm not to say that everything has to be ooey-gooey, mamby-pamby. Sometimes... Sometimes it can be harsh. Say, listen, what you are doing, God says, will send you to hell. Or we can turn a blind eye and just say, you know what? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything won't be fine. It doesn't always be a harsh word. Sometimes it does. But what's the heart behind it? What's the heart behind it? What's the heart behind it? In his, and again, my heart is always a heart of compassion, a heart of love. In his humiliation, now this is what it says in verse 32. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was ta- would taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say of this, of himself or some other man? Listen to what they are saying. That is tip number five. Listen, I, am, I had to learn this. People would start telling me something, and I'd jump right in. I got the answer before they'd ever finished their sentence. We need to listen to what they're saying. I truly believe that if you listen to what they're saying, the Holy Spirit can direct you to the root of the issue that you can speak to. I'll give you an, an example. I was on a golf course. I like golf. Golf's a holy sport. I'm sure it's justified by God. All right? And I'm on a golf course, and, I, and there was a meeting that I had to be at, but I wanted to get in nine holes before, before it was done, right? Or before I had to go. And in golf, and, and I was, I'm, I'm not a great golfer, but I'm an okay golfer, and, 
And I teed off, and I saw a couple of holes ahead of me. It was this guy, what I call a duffer, you know, duff. Duff. And I'm like, well, that's no problem. Because in golf etiquette, if you're a, a faster golfer, someone comes up behind you, you let them play through. Okay? And sure enough, I got up to the guy, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'll get up to him, and he'll let me through. And the guy says, oh, you want to come through? And I say, oh, praise God, I'm going through, you know? So I get up there, and he's waiting for me to tee off, and I'm up there, and I'm getting ready. I'm left-handed. I, I get up here, and I get ready, and I get my back swinging. The Lord says, ask him to play with you. And, I'm thinking, and I step back from the ball. And I said, no, Lord, I'm not asking. I'm in a hurry. I got things to do. I, you know, he's letting me through. I'm going to go through because I've, I've got this meeting I've got to get to, and it's important for your kingdom. Right? So I get over the ball again, and he says, and I, I whack, you know. And I think, oh, good shot, you know. And I put my thing, and I say, hey, thanks a lot. Two steps off the tee, and the Lord says, ask him to golf with you. No, Lord, I'm trying to get through this. He'll slow me down. Okay, God, would you like to golf with me? Oh, yeah. I said, great. I had a great attitude about the whole situation. Great, great. Now I'm going to be late for your, your meeting, God. Your kingdom is your fault. But I'm going to do it because you told me to do it. Right? So we golf, and all of a sudden this guy starts talking to me, man. And I'm not in a talkative mood because I'm ticked off and i got to go with him. So I'm not my chatty, lovey self. You know, I'm just saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. Well, then we get a couple more holes, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, I start hearing him, yeah. right? So we get on the ninth tee. I was only playing nine. And, and I'd already teed off, and, and he's standing up there, getting ready to tee off. And the Lord told me, and it was an audible voice, he says, tell this man that I am, that I am alive and that I love him still. I said, all right, Lord. No, he's on the tee box, getting ready to tee off. That is not good etiquette. You're not supposed to be talking. So I told him. The man stepped away from his ball and absolutely broke down and wet. I mean, uncontrollable. We, I mean, there's golfers all around us, and he is, he, I mean, <gasps> he is weeping. I'm like, dude, are you okay? Didn't mean to hurt you. Are you okay? Yes. And here's, and here's what he said. He said, I've got a son that's in prison, and I came up to the UP to see him. I've got another son that's a pastor, and I haven't seen him yet. He said, but things have been really bad. I've been listening to his story, and things were tough. And and he says, my plan wasn't from downstate. I was coming to the UP. I was going to see my son. I was going to go around to golf, and I was going to commit suicide. And he says, I told God on the way up here, if you're real, you better send somebody to tell me. And so, this man says, you know what? I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to go spend some time with my son, who's the pastor. Because I just believe that, I believe that now, God can help me through him. Nothing in me wanted to do that or be in that position. But if we're obeying God and we listen to what people are really saying, I believe that the Holy Spirit can give us a word that can change their lives in an instant. Now, do I know what the the end of the result was? No, that's none of my business to worry about that. I did what I was supposed to do at that particular time in my life where he was at on a golf course. When I had, I, I wasn't being spiritual, I was just wanting to get another nine in. 
We've got to listen to what they're saying. And Philip opened his mouth and began right at the scripture where he was reading. Meet people at their level. Meet them where they're at. You are here. They are down here. Get down there with them and bring them along. Too many times we talk down to them and, and you got to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and we put so they're overwhelmed. It's not that they don't want to get right, but it takes time. It's taken me 27 years of being a Christian to get where I'm at today, and I still got some to go. But people all along helped me and guided me and led me and discipled me. And so in Acts 8.36, and I'm bringing it in for a landing. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said this, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was a statement of faith. That is just like saying, Lord, I believe you were crucified, you died three days later, you rose again, and you're at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. I receive you into my life, come into my life, and, and take over. Born again. The seventh point, and I'll, I'll read them all back to you just so you get, because I broke them up. Meet, meet people at their level. Point to people to Jesus by the direction of the Holy Spirit. To Jesus. The Holy Spirit does a lot of stuff if we'll allow him to. Yes, be involved in people's lives. Give them the word of God and then allow the Holy Spirit to work on that. Guide that. Nurture that. Water that. It's up to him anyway. So, seven tips. Number one, immediate obedience. Number two, go to where they're at. Now listen, I'm not saying that you go get involved with where they're at if they're sinning. But we need to be out there around them. How else are they going to know? Come alongside people. Find out where they're at in their lives. Meet them at their level. And then point them to Jesus by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Do You know, I've been on the foreign mission field where you don't speak the language and you have an interpreter, but when you're out around people, you have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do the things, because I don't speak their language. I can't tell you what, but the Holy Spirit does stuff when you're on the mission field. He does. But it can be here, but it can be here as well. Right here. So, I'm just going to close in prayer now, because here's the thing. I'm going to talk next week about using what God's given you. Every one of us can do this. This isn't a hard thing. But it takes a willingness to obey God and and be involved in people's lives. And sometimes people's lives are messy. But what happens is when people come in and we notice that their lives are messy, we say, their lives are messy. You're going to mess things up here, so you need to just go on. That's not the type of church we are. There's a hundred churches like that. But I want to be the church that, man, people come in and they can really get free. And... And gosh, they might even reveal something that's raw and hurtful and harmful. And, and, and they can get delivered and they can get free. And they can experience the love of Christ like we all experienced the love of Christ when we were where we were at. So, if you want this relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you want to receive Him into your life, raise your hand right now.
Don't be afraid. You're in a church, man. There's a bunch of born-again believers that raised their hand one day. I want you to raise your hand. I see your hand, man. God bless you. Anybody else? There's another one. Anybody else? Make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, again, you may have said, hey, you know what? I've been in church a long time. It don't matter if you're in church a long time. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't, now would be a great time. I'm just saying. Because here's the thing. Now that you have heard this, God's not going to leave you alone. He's going to keep coming after you. You can stop him. You can say, I don't want nothing to do with you. Forget it. You can walk away. You can turn your back. But he's going to keep pursuing you. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. I finally came to Christ because my mom was a praying mom, and I got so sick of the Holy Spirit hounding me. I'd call her from college and say, oh, things aren't going. Go to you praying in your Bible. What's that got to do with anything? I got problems. Well, I'm praying for you. Well, stop, because things aren't getting better. That was me. So here's what I want to do. Let's, let's just bow our heads, and I want to agree with you guys in prayer. Just repeat after me. Everybody just repeat after me. Dear Lord, I acknowledge I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I ask you right now to come into my life, to be my Lord, and to be my Savior. I want you to do with my life whatever you want to do. I believe you died for me. I, do, I believe you rose again. And I believe you're at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. I receive you into my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you really meant that in your heart, you are born again. All the angels in heaven, it says, are rejoicing. So we need to rejoice as well. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God. And before, and, and before you leave, I want you to make sure you see me to get these two books. It's just 